everyone. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And this is Josh Mankiewicz. And you're listening to a double date with Dateline. We have a very special guest for you today. You know him, the man, the myth, the sir, Mankey with the hanky. Hello there. <laughs> Here's what I want you to say at the beginning. I want you to say Diana couldn't have killed her because she was a vegetarian. You know, I had to re-record that <laughs> five or six times, that, that line that I wrote, because we wanted to make sure that it sounded properly incredulous. Like, you don't want to just say, you know, the defense rolled out a strategy that maybe no one had heard before. Maybe no one had ever heard it before. Diana couldn't have killed anyone because she was a vegetarian. <laughs> right? We were like... So I did it again. I'm like, with that, the defense rolled out a strategy that they hadn't heard before. Perhaps no one had heard it before. Diana couldn't have killed anyone because she was a vegetarian. And then we decided that wasn't enough. So then we were like, when they rolled out a defense strategy that no one had heard before, Diana, you know, when we build it up, we're like, sure, she was blinded by love. Sure, she bought the items used in the abduction, but that wasn't her in the parking lot. Uh, and, uh, and also, Diana could never kill anyone because she was a vegetarian. She. I loved it. You just turned it up to 11. You yeah. just took yeah. the knob and kept turning it. It yeah. was great. It was yeah. perfection. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that was quite a memorable defense, I have to say. So we are talking about the episode, The Life She Wanted. If you haven't seen it yet, watch it. It was bonkers and we felt from you that you knew how bonkers it was boy it really was it really was well and i'm actually so flattered that you guys have me on here i love this oh we would have you on every single time it's one of your stories it's a delight and we always have questions because we're always like we know there's more to this than like what's actually we know there's just little bits more that can't be fit in so and just a feeling you get and this is one of those times there is a little bit more here that can't be that yeah. we didn't fit in yeah. oh okay okay you know i mean people already have seen the episode probably by the time they they listen to this, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't have to keep any secrets. I mean, this is the story of a guy who seemed to be in some kind of competition as to which of the women in his life he could treat worse. He, he demeaned and belittled his wife, cheated on her openly, did not make any attempt to hide that, uh, told her she was fat and unattractive, mm. and would routinely take the kids away and spend time with the kids and his girlfriend. He had a family photo taken with him and his two sons and his girlfriend, even though he was still married to and living with his wife at the time. At one point, he, he moved out and lived with the girlfriend, and he couldn't afford that, I think. So he moved back home, but the girlfriend made him a pillow like a, I get the feeling that it was kind of like a body pillow. It was a bigger pillow. It wasn't like a. Uh, oh. It wasn't like an accident. I don't think. I think it was like like a larger pillow, and it had her face on it, the girlfriend's face on it, and he decreed that it be kept in their marital bed when he was with his wife. So every time his wife gets in bed with him, there's her and her husband, and the girlfriend. It was just unspeakably loathsome. The, the term human garbage comes to mind. Yeah. That's yeah. awful and, behavior. And 
Ultimately, you know, I, I said this was about a guy who wanted to treat every, both the women in his life horribly. Not only did he like insult and demean and belittle his wife and, you know, just clearly he was crushing her spirit and she wanted to stick around because she'd been in love with this guy from high school and they had a couple of kids together. And except for the fact that he was a loathsome guy, they seemed to have a pretty good life, at least before he turned into this loathsome guy. And then he sort of switched his, uh, his, his, the, you know, this beam of, you know, miserableness to the girlfriend who, you know, you know, clearly was a person who'd had some, you know, some, I thought some significant damage or trauma at some point in her life. Cause she was kind of all alone, kind of looking for, look, looking for her path in life. And mm-hmm. he settled on her and they started having an affair. And then he somehow persuades her to kill the wife, believing, you know, once you do this, then we'll be together. So that's what this story was about. And it's, it, it's a story when everybody is just, it's sad all the way around. It really is. And he's one of the worst people we've ever covered. We said that 2021 has been the year of him. He's getting these women to do this because we had Tom Randolph, the widower, which he had no discernible sex appeal or magnetism that we could see through the screen, but these women fell for it. Then we had Keith Ranieri of Nexium, And then we have Mike, Hawaiian Mike, who also we just didn't get it. Even you said he was that guy. You did say he had game, but he was also that guy. Well, you know, I mean, when he was in high school, he, you know, on her 18th birthday, he gave her 17 roses and he shows up with the 18th rose. Okay, that's a little That's corny. game that's, for a high schooler. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's more than I was doing in high school. But, you know, but <laughs> right. then he was also like, you know, the guy with the black Monte Carlo who, you know, you know, spent all his time in the car polishing it and, you know, it became an extension. Yeah, that guy. He was that guy. So, you know, look, I mean, you know, you're right. I mean, those are three guys in which, in which you look at them objectively and you think, wait, why is anyone putting up with anything to be with any of these guys? Like, right. like you, you're with Tom Randolph and he, you're dating Tom Randolph and he goes, hey, I got a great idea. Let's take out an insurance policy on you. You're like, yeah, check, please. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But no. No, that's not what happened. They sure. Where do I sign? Yeah. So, you know, what made Sherry Daly stay with Mike? Well, I mean, you know, look, the man at the center of these stories, they are pretty good at convincing others, particularly the women in their lives, that one, you're lucky to have me, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're nothing, right? You're looking right. to with me. And two, you know, being treated badly is the price of a relationship. And you don't want to be alone. I know you don't want to be alone. You want to be with me. This is what you have to put up with. So I guess the question is, what was Mike's ultimate motivation? Because he had already clearly broken Sherry down to the point where she would basically do anything for him. Yet still, he didn't just want to divorce her. He wanted to have her killed. We didn't hear about an insurance policy. What? Why did he do it? I don't, I don't think there was insurance money here. So Why? Was it for the kids? Look, I did a story a few years ago about a guy who killed his wife on, I think, their 25th wedding anniversary. And he had made the calculation. There wasn't a lot of insurance money there either. I don't think it was anything. It was just the marital assets, their home and their boat and whatever else they had. But he had made the calculation that he would do better as a widower than a divorced man. That's what these guys are thinking, which is what's what's going to help me the most. Wow. 
and, and having my wife tragically killed or missing and never came back. She dumped me. She left me. I don't know where she is. I mean, if her body's never found, you can invent any backstory you want. Sure, it makes you the victim. She's terrible to me. She took all my money. She stuck me with these kids, you know, and, you know, and she left. And so now I need you to come over and start cooking for the kids and cleaning my house and, you know, try to remove that pillow. So, you know, I mean, these guys, uh, they never cease to amaze me. But yeah, I mean, objectively, you look at them. You look at these guys, what, what, why are they worth fighting for? It's hard to, and why are they worth putting up with? And why are they worth any portion of your life? It's hard to answer that question. You know, so what was his ultimate goal? I mean, you remember there was a point in there after he was on trial, after Mike was on trial, these, some people sort of came out of the woodwork, some, some, uh, some street people and street criminals yes. uh, in Ventura. And, and they were like, well, he's a drug user and he sells drugs to other people and he's got prostitutes that he's paid. And one of these prostitutes told of, a, of an instance in which she and Mike went and it parked in his car and did drugs and had sex on this sort of, you know, lonesome, deserted road out of town. And only later did she realize that's where Sherry's body was found. So he takes this this sex worker out there and she doesn't know. She just thinks this is a deserted area, but him, this is like, you know, the hell with you. You know, I am doing drugs and having sex with another woman, basically right on top of your corpse. Now that vaults him into a new league as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, it really does. Can we talk about the murder specifically? I We had questions about Diana being so meek and able to overpower Sherry. And then I was thinking pulling her body out of the car and dumping it over. She had no help, right? I mean, he wasn't there. We know that. He was provably at work. Now, maybe, you know, you can argue, I mean, this is how it unfolds. Sherry goes to the uh, Target every, I think, Monday morning, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Oh, I did want to ask, have you ever been to a Target? Because you don't seem like a Target person. I'm not, I, I've been to a Target, yeah. Okay. They have everything. <laughs> yeah, so, so she went to the Target. And now that information of how she regularly went there, that could only have come from her husband. Diana would not have known that. Diana would have known that if she followed Sherry over a period of weeks but Diana had a full-time job. I don't think she could follow Sherry all the time and find out her movements and know that every Tuesday at 10 a.m. was the target. Like, that's the kind of information that would have come from somebody else, and that's probably her husband. So when Sherry exits the target with some stuff she bought and a present for her mom and a couple other things, there is a plainclothes cop waiting for her at her car. Uh, Sherry had this big 17-passenger van because she did daycare, and waiting there is a police detective in a pantsuit, blonde woman with a, a badge and handcuffs. And she, you know, basically arrests Sherry. And people in the parking lot saw this and puts Sherry in the back of this four-door teal sedan, even holding Sherry's head the way police do when they put somebody in the back of the car. So Initially, police were like, oh, that's kind of weird. She got arrested. First of all, there weren't any warrants out on Sherry, so they, they, they can do a check of that. But this was 1996. The departments weren't all tied together the way they probably are now. This wouldn't take as long to check right now. But there's a lot of different jurisdictions which could have arrested someone. 
And although the Ventura cops looked and looked and looked, they couldn't find anybody. But, you know, it was possible that she was locked up or she was under another name or they'd spelled something wrong. So they kept <laughs> looking. But the more they thought about it, they thought it was kind of weird because the uh, the detective was alone. And normally, if you're going to arrest somebody, you have at least one other person there, sometimes several people there. Because for officer safety reasons, you never know how somebody's going to react when they're taken into custody. Traditionally, people don't like it. So oh, right. people yeah. seem you know, like they're not going to be a threat can be a big problem, particularly people who've never been arrested before can particularly be a big problem because they suddenly deprived their loss of deprived of their freedom for the first time. Mm -hmm. So that's when you have other officers there. And this time there was no one else there. And it was just this woman and, and Sherry. Now, the interesting thing, of course, is that, you know, Sherry knew Diana Hawn. She knew her husband's girlfriend. They had met, they had talked, they'd had a couple of shouting matches in which Sherry said, you know, something like stay away from my husband or probably stronger language than that. So it is impossible for anybody to believe that Sherry would willingly have gotten into a car with Diana Hahn because she knew she would have just walked the other way. And it was, of course, well known to her who Diana Hahn was and that she was not any kind of law enforcement officer. She worked in the deli section of a Vons. Mm-hmm. So the police kept checking and they couldn't figure out where Sherry was. And then the more they sort of thought about it, it didn't sound like a real arrest. And the car was wrong, too. The car was a Nissan Altima. And, you know, in the late 90s, every cop in, maybe not in the country, but every cop in, 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 in that I knew was driving a Crown Vic. That was the preferred car of law enforcement, the Ford Crown Victoria. Mike had drugs at home. Mike was a drug user. We know that. But Was he a drug addict, in your opinion? Because some of this behavior, it seemed like addict behavior to me. I, d- I don't know the answer to that. And of course, like, there's no way I can diagnose that without having met him. I don't know. Okay, but that wasn't like, oh, so he hadn't been arrested before for drug charges that we know I, of? I don't believe he ever had, no. Okay, all right. So there were drugs at home, and and Mike apparently, according to Sherry's friends, had said to her, you know, don't give me any crap about having these drugs here because if the cops come in, this is your house as well as mine. And you're going to go down just like I am. You're going to be, you're going to be on drugs. If I go down on drug charges, you're going to go down on drug charges because we both live here together and they're going to take the kids away from both of us. So it's in your interest if you want to keep these kids to shut up about my drug use because if you wrap me out, we both go down and the kids go into foster care or, or whatever. And wow. that apparently worked with Sherry because she didn't say anything about it. Now, there's no indication at all that she used drugs. But right. I think Mike, Mike intimidated her into not saying anything about his drug use. So my guess, I'm not, I can't say this 100%. Mm-hmm. My guess is that when Diana Hahn pulls up behind Sherry in her, Teal Altima. It is it is under the guise of a drug investigation oh. that makes oh my Sherry gosh. go along with her. So we now know that prosecutors believe that Diana Hahn did such a good job of making herself up and changing her hairstyle and putting on this pantsuit and pancake makeup. And she had a she had a fake badge and she had the real handcuffs and she got Sherry Daly in the cuffs and into the back seat of the car, even though she was, in fact, her uh, Sherry's husband's girlfriend, who Sherry had met before. 
But I guess she, in that moment, Sherry was so upset at being arrested. And I'm sure, I think ringing in her ears was her husband saying, if I go down, you go down, and we're kids, which was a thing that would have worked with Sherry since she was incredibly attached to those children. So I think that's what did it. That and the fact that Diana Hahn turns out to be pretty good at disguising herself. That was my other question was, is she actually a good actress? We know she was an extra and she was Alex. She played Alex, the male friend on the phone. Yes. She was good enough at disguising her voice and calling the house and saying, this is Alex. This is Alex. Can I speak to Mike? And Sherry even spoke with Alex a couple of times before realizing that Alex was really her husband's girlfriend in a, using a phony voice, but apparently it worked. And in what turned out to be, you know, the, the, the role of her life, Diana Hahn played this detective well enough to disguise the fact that, that, that Sherry, that she was someone that Sherry knew. And she got Sherry into that car with handcuffs behind her, their hands cuffed behind her. Oh, they were behind her. There we go. Uh-huh. And at some point, at some point, early on, I think, at some point, you know, police believe that the idea was to drive Sherry to some deserted place, and then she was going to get killed there, and Diana was going to do the killing. Again, there's no evidence that Mike was there. But at some point, probably pretty quickly, Sherry figured out that that wasn't a real police officer, or that it was not only not a real police officer, that it was Diana Hahn. And she somehow slipped her handcuffs under her feet to the front of her. Wow. And there in that Target parking lot was a fight to the death. And we know that the, we know that Diana Hahn had bought an axe because the receipt for that was, uh, was introduced in evidence. So police believe that there was a battle to the death in that parking lot. And that by the time Diana Hahn drove that, Teal Altima out of the parking lot, Sherry was either dead or or dying. Now, how long does she stay in the car? We don't know. I mean, could Mike go over that night and help remove the body? Maybe, maybe. But, mm. you know, if you are alone, if you don't have to worry about being seen, you know, if it's after dark on the outskirts of town where that was, and you don't have to worry about being seen, you could presumably drag a body out of a car and throw it down a hillside, particularly if you parked right next to where it happened. Right next to it. And just- so it, doesn't, it doesn't seem impossible to me that Diana Hahn could have done it all herself. It doesn't seem implausible. It's conceivable. Yes, it's easier. I mean, bodies that are, dead bodies are hard to move. That is the, where the expression dead weight comes from. And they are, they are hard to move. But on the other hand, if you were alone and you under cover of darkness, you don't have to worry about anybody coming along or seeing you, you might be able to do it over a period of time. Now, you actually interviewed Diana. Our friend on Twitter, Keisler Soze, said Diana versus Mank is like bringing a spoon to a gunfight. Well, look, I mean, she doesn't have a really good case. She got convicted, and her defense was yeah, I rented the car, and yeah, I bought a fake badge, and yeah, I bought a wig, and yeah, I bought an axe, and yeah, I bought handcuffs, but that was all for a big practical joke. (laughs) And 
somebody else picked up the car from outside my house and then brought it back the next morning and it was full of bloodstains, which I tried to clean out. Now, I didn't kill Sherry. This is Diana talking. I didn't kill Sherry. I don't know who did. Mike told me to buy all those things, so I did. And Mike also told me that Sherry was a terrible person. So I didn't have any problem. What, yeah, what is that? She was a sh- terrible person, so she didn't deserve to be notified that her husband was trying to kill her. That's a whole That's a whole separate issue. But I'm just saying, this is... This is Diana's, this is Diana's rap. This is her defense, which is, I, I, yeah, I bought all that stuff, but, you know, I thought she was an awful person based on what Mike had said. I didn't kill her because I'm a vegetarian and I don't kill. And so I don't know who killed her, but it wasn't me. And Mike sort of set me up. That's his, you know. Well, okay, the jury didn't buy any of that. And they convicted her. And she's... Why did the jury take five days? That's a good question. I don't know. We didn't talk to any of the jurors. Um, that seems too long. For the vegetarian defense. <laughs> sometimes, you know, you never know. I mean, you know, sometimes people want to go through the evidence very, very, very slowly. I mean, I was a juror on a case once, not a, a criminal case. It was a civil case involving someone who got hit by a car. Now, it was abundantly clear to me at the end of testimony exactly what had happened and who was at fault. And again, this was not locking anybody up. This was one person's insurance company or the other person's insurance company. But the other jurors, they took a long, long, long time to go over all the evidence again and again and again, which I, it seemed pretty clear to me what had happened. So this could very well, have, it could be that, it could be people wanting to just take their time, make sure that the you know, they, 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 have, they have examined all the different exhibits and reread the testimony. But okay. they did get, uh, they did get a, a verdict. And then Mike also was was convicted. You know, and then we spoke with Diana Hahn, who was, uh, who was locked up here in mm-hmm. California. And that's her defense. is like, I didn't do it. I still didn't do it. It wasn't me in the car. I shouldn't have done those things. I shouldn't have bought the stuff. I shouldn't have, you know, listened to Mike. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, that interview was, was, I mean, she didn't put up much of a defense. She doesn't, I mean, she doesn't have much of a defense. She was using her full volume voice, though, which was shocking because we had only ever heard her whisper the rest of the time. That's right. Well, that, you know, that the, 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 that's the other thing is the, the interrogation scenes. You know, a lot of times detectives will not, you're, you're, you're accused of something. Detectives will not let you speak with, for obvious reasons, the person that you're accused of conspiring with, husband, mm-hmm. wife boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever. In this case, uh, the two detectives um, on this case, who I thought did a wonderful job, Diana figures out that Mike's in the building. He's come in to talk. And and she says, can I see Mike? And they're like, well, okay. And they bring him in. Now, the other one of the things that I thought really worked with this is that a lot of times, you know, on Dateline and other places, when you see video of the interrogation rooms, the camera's like way up in the corner and the people mm-hmm. are actually very tiny in the frame. And you can't really see people's facial expressions. A lot of times you can just sort of tell people's body language that they're, you know, that they're upset or they're defensive or they're they're you know, angry or whatever. But in this case, the camera was like, we at Dateline couldn't have shot that interview any better. I mean, the camera was right on them. Zoomed in. They fill up the screen. Yeah, it was great. So first of all, they're talking and they're whispering. <laughs> Even though they're whispering, you can still hear them. So that was like super crazy weird. Then, mm-hmm. like some of the time, you know, it's like he's trying to tell her what to say. Or like this, and then at different times, all of a sudden he's like, 
So you don't know where she is, and I don't know where she is, and I just want you to tell the truth or something like that. Wink, like, wink. Basically looking at the camera. So, yeah. He's got like looking yeah. up and around, like, where are the cameras here? Yes. Like, I mean, it is, it is disorganized crime. You know, and I mean, if you think that that's going to work, I mean, that is the difference between, I mean, I mean, this is the, this is the difference between like, like, like criminals who do this all the time, people who are committing their, their, their first criminal offense. And it turns out, you know, uh, the police are better at figuring out what's going on than you think they're going to be. And just lying about something is generally not going to do it. You're going to need a little more than that. And the stuff in the interrogation room, I when we were in production, I said to Jessica and Susan who produced this. Like we got to use every second of that stuff. Like the longer that can go on, the better. Because it's—I I thought it was just hypnotic watching it is. Two of them. Like they're looking at each other, and he says, "Hi." Oh my God! And, hi. Hi. And he goes, hi. Hi. Pet hi. your hair. Wow. There was so much stroking of ha- hair and arms it was so yeah. intimate and then gentle kisses it cr- was so cringe yeah like hey hey back to earth yeah you're accused of a murder you're <laughs> setting it up like, they were acting like they were on a picnic like a love picnic yeah it was astonishing you know and the only thing that was weird about it was that at the end of that little meeting with mike like like that's what I mean. That's probably why you don't, as a as an investigating officer, allow that to happen because that did not work. Diana mm-hmm. was actually more resolute after that to not tell them anything. That because you watch the early parts of that interview, and it almost feels like she's going to cave. Like yes. they're saying to her, "Look, you know, Mike takes you out and plays with him like you're his jet ski." You know, mm-hmm. and then oh my god, the jet ski. And she, she, oh, he, he wouldn't do that. And you can tell she's like completely like back on her heels. But then mm-hmm. after, you know, after Mike and Diana talk in the interrogation room, she's got a little more verve, and she's like, well, you know, if I knew anything, I would tell you. So I mean, I thought it was probably a good idea to let them talk because you certainly, you see the relationship between them. You certainly understand how this could happen and what the sort of, you know, power transfer is that's going on there. But on the other hand, like it did not encourage either one of them to roll on the other. In fact, it probably made that harder. Mm -hmm. Completely. Could you rank in cringe order (laughs) the pillow? Yeah. The love letters in prison where he says, uh, your cubs are waiting. Your man and cubs are waiting for you. <laughs> nope. I love you, die, die. Yeah, it's so, yeah. Yeah, die, die. Then right. there's the family photo on yeah. Christmas Eve. Yeah. And then the interrogation with the gentle kissing and the stroking and the whispering. All right. You've uh, you've certainly hit all the highlights. Okay. You left Sherry getting up to warm up Mike's shower water right, right. in the morning. Oh. Right, which just made me like flinch when I heard it. You can even see it in fact in the episode like I I did. Um so um yeah, the pillow in bed. The pillow with the message's face on it in bed has got a that 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 number 1 that's got to be, that's one of the most sickening things I've ever heard. Yeah. The, uh, the stuff in the interrogation room, I, I, I just was like, I couldn't stop watching it. 
I, I remember saying, I said to the, I said to our team, like, like whatever there is, like, I literally don't care if she says, what time is it? And he says, it's three fifteen. like put it in. Like yeah. everything they're doing is great. It just shows you everything about them. Well, when he says to her in the interrogation, they can't hold you for more than 24 hours unless they have something on you. So like, he's thought about this. Like he, oh, yeah. he was ready for her to be arrested. And like, she didn't seem to get that. She didn't seem to understand, like, hey, you're going to get locked up as part of this. But, you know, I mean, let's say, just think about this. Let's say that there hadn't been any witnesses in the parking lot or they just hadn't paid attention. You know, mm -hmm. I think one of the witnesses was the sister of a police officer who reported back to mm -hmm. the detective about this. And then they started asking other people. And somebody else was like, yeah, there's an arrest out here. Let's say that that arrest had happened in a way that did not attract attention. Then Sherry's just gone. Then there's no lead for the car. And then there's no lead for the detective. Then they're not looking at who bought handcuffs and, and, and a badge. And then Sherry Daly's just gone. And maybe she never gets found, you know, until, until you know, I mean, after a while, you know, animals are going to, you know, carry away parts of her corpse to make any kind of forensic analysis even harder. So, I mean, it was literally that moment in which people in the parking lot recognized something and that got reported back to law enforcement. That was a great big break in the case. The other thing that happened was because when Diana was arrested and then the DA decided not to charge her and they released her, her picture got on the news. Mm -hmm. And that's when the woman from the, the wig store saw her. But again, like, I don't know that Diana would have been arrested if they hadn't known that she rented that car. Mm -hmm. Because her, I got knocked off a bike alibi. Oh, boy. Bosses, but it wasn't disprovable. You know, it wasn't like there was video of her you know, somewhere else. Or right. that on the road, which you claimed she'd taken, there was no trace of her on the bike. There was nothing like that. Now, mm -hmm. at trial, it's kind of interesting. You know, we had to, normally we would, this, this is one th way in which we were kind of hamstrung on this case. Normally, we'd be at the trial. Mm -hmm. uh, and we would we would not need to reconstruct it with anybody else. We would be there. But this trial happened so long ago that we were not there. We were not covering the story when it happened. We had to go back all those years. So we had to, and, and we couldn't find the trial transcript, I think. That was one of the problems. It might have been destroyed or it was moved or nobody could find it. So... Finally, we started, you know, we looked at newspaper accounts and there was some TV news stuff, which we found back then, which we ran, as you saw. But at one point during the trial, Diana's attorney, the one who rolls out the, uh, the vegetarian defense, he says Diana's story, he admits in court that Diana's story, that she fell off a bike and that's how she got the scratches on her face, which is what she told the police, that that wasn't true. So he admits that's a lie. So again, that's part of that's a big, big chunk of her story going down the drain because she's admitting her alibi is a lie. That's two things. One, it's admitting you're a liar. And two, it's admitting you don't have an alibi for the time of the murder. Right. Well, uh, you know, what he doesn't do, or at least what we couldn't figure out whether he had done, was whether he had offered any alternative defense. Yeah. I don't think he did because I'm thinking that would have been, I mean, the newspaper reported the vegetarian thing. So presumably they also would have reported if, you know, her attorney says, we admit that the bicycle ride was a lie. In fact, what happened was Diana was seeing another man and didn't want to tell Mike, or Diana was, you know, robbing a bank and didn't want to tell Mike, or Diana was asleep, whatever. But she did not 
offer any other alibi during that time or explain why she had lied, as far as we know. But we don't know as much about the trials we normally do. Our friend Kim from People Are Wild podcast on Twitter wants to know specifically what you think of the vegetarian defense. You said it with an eye roll. Have you, as a meat eater yourself, Yes. does it carry any weight? We had a guy arrested breaking into the Capitol, part of a mob that was chanting, hang Mike Pence. Uh, when he gets arrested, he wants organic food. Yes. No. Yeah, that guy. Well, can vegetarians commit violent crimes? Yeah, pretty clearly they can. You know, I mean, who knew the Q and QAnon stood for quinoa? I didn't know that. <laughs> That's a good one. Do you think that the witchcraft thing played a part? Because I know that there was, uh, the, her coworker came forward, right, and did the whole, she's talked about human sacrifice. Oh, uh, you, we, by the way, by the way, we've left out a huge moment here, Kimberly, uh, in your list of cringeworthy things. When the cops say to Diana, did you tell people that you wanted to celebrate Mike's birthday with a human sacrifice? And she said, oh, well, not um, in those words. Not in those words. Yeah, well, not in those words. Yeah, that's not really the answer you want to give to the police. That's not a no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, more, the answer you want your attorney wants you to give is, what are you, crazy? Of course not. Yeah, right. that, yeah. But you didn't do that, did you, Diana? <laughs> So that was good. I love that. Yeah, well, not those words. So, yeah, I mean, I think the witchcraft stuff, you know, look, I mean, you know, it, it was, I mean, for Diana, it's just a self-inflicted wound. I mean, it just makes you seem weirder and crazier at a time when you need to seem less weird and less crazy. But, you know, did she say to somebody, you know, I want to give my boyfriend a human sacrifice? I mean, I don't know. But I mean, it's, it's, I mean, she apparently did tell people that she occasionally practiced witchcraft or was interested in it. Again, you start telling people that, you're going to get a reputation as a person who is... A witch. <laughs> yeah, or just, you know, you know, nutty, spooky, weird, different. Maybe you want that. And again, as long as you never get... I mean, there's nothing wrong with being nutty, spooky, weird, or different. I mean, this country was was built by people who were different, you know, who were not little, little blocks of Lego who all fit together. Mm -hmm. But... When you're accused of a violent crime and you've already sort of gone on record as, as, as you know, talking about witchcraft and human sacrifice, that is a hole you don't want to try to dig yourself out of. Especially when you already have kind of crazy eyes. <laughs> He's doing them. He just did yeah. it. It's not a great combo. Yeah, no, it's not good. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, we're, we're really lucky because, you know, we've been able to get all that old video of her leaving court. And that was very important because... It was that TV story that somebody saw on the air. It was like, wait a minute, she was in my store buying a wig. And she paid by check. You know, oh my God. Again, you know, you know, in the in the uh, you know, in the, in the annals of criminology, that's a uh, that's a rookie move, you know. You know, she rented the car under her own name, you know. All of it. It's like she it's like Mike had told her, they're never gonna trace this back to you. Like it's like he had told her, Don't worry about any of that, or she just didn't even think about it because it didn't seem like a possibility that she would ever get caught. But. Uh, well, you know, again, if nobody sees that arrest, yeah, that whole avenue of investigation doesn't get explored. I mean, then she really does get off the hook for, for you know, like, like, like if they don't look for a, if they're not looking for a Teal Ultima, 
then they're never going to go to budget. Then they're never going to find that, that she rented a car like that. It would just be Sherry walked out the door of Target, and we don't know what happened to her, but she didn't get in her car. We know that. Or she did get in her car because the stuff she bought is in the car, but then she didn't drive away. We don't know what happened. So she must have seen someone she knew. You know, that's what you would think. You know, she got in somebody else's car. Maybe, you know, she thought it wouldn't start or who knows. But you're, the investigation goes in a completely different direction if people don't see Jerry getting arrested by a blonde female undercover officer or plainclothes officer. So maybe in hindsight, a, a busy parking lot was not the best place. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. The, I mean, that may not have been the best place to do it. And then, I mean, nobody saw that fight, you know, the, the, the battle. The, yeah. Inside the car. You would think that something like that would be. I think you'd hear somebody screaming and see the car, like maybe. The swerving. Swerving or suddenly stop or something. Like you'd think you'd see, but no, no, nobody reported seeing a thing. Or they saw it and they didn't register it. It didn't. Or they didn't realize what it was. Right. Yeah. Was the Diana pillow or Diana herself, was this like common knowledge that her and Mike were having an affair? Did the neighbors know about the pillow? Because we meet a few of the neighbors. I think the neighbors did know because Sherry had told them. I, I believe Sherry had somehow caught Mike and Diana together. I think maybe after she had her suspicions that the person claiming to be Alex wasn't really a friend of Mike's from work. And I think she caught... Diana and Mike together, and then they had this confrontation. I think they probably had more than one confrontation. So, I mean, you know, Sherry would have known who that pillow was. It wasn't like Mike just showed up with a pillow and said, let's put this in bed with us. I mean, like, who does that? It's who does that? sick. It's beyond sick. The Sherry Daly that everybody knew would never have stood for that kind of behavior. Right. Yeah, that's what her mom said. Yeah, my guess is that he had been on a significant campaign and, and, and the pillow is probably, you know, part of that. You know, you're going you're gonna to have to essentially acquiesce in this if you want me around. And you do, because otherwise, no more kids. Did you have any background on Mike that we didn't hear? I mean, he's a pretty terrible person. Was there anything, like, from his past that we don't know about that could answer this? The only thing that we, we found out in the trial was that there was another woman that he'd been seeing prior to Diana Hahn, and he asked her to kill Jerry. Sally. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, and and she was super freaked out about the whole thing. She was very reticent to... Uh... There have been other girlfriends, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. But he only seems to have one at a time that he focused on. We don't really know what his dating situation was. He definitely does not seem to have taken his uh, vows of uh, <laughs> fidelity terribly seriously. Right. And did you try to get an interview with him and he declined? I believe he did not speak with us. Yes, I believe he declined. Yeah. Because yeah, we did. I know we did. We did try and, and reach out. But Diana did want to talk. And, you know, she said quite a few years in there. Yeah. And she's got a, quite a few left. She's going, I mean, she's going forever. To be, <laughs> this is sort of what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it's like you wonder why Sherry Daly would put up with that kind of behavior from her husband. You also wonder why Diana Hahn would, I mean, put up with that kind of behavior from the man she's having an affair with. I mean, there's a point where you say, okay, wait a minute. Like, I love you and I want to be with you and I want us to work this out, but you got to get divorced and I'm not killing anybody for you. You got to step up and get divorced and then we'll be together and we'll take a bunch more photos like that. Also like (laughs) with, you know, as the other woman, I mean, it's just so, it's also sort of contemptuous 
You know, I mean, do you, what do you, you know, what do you guys think? You think Sherry Daly ever saw that photo of Diana and Mike and the boys? I'll bet she did. Yeah, 100%. Then you showed it to her and said, here's my next family. Look, you're not. I think he said, Merry Christmas. I'm taking the kids with my mistress. We're going to do some family photos. I bet he just said it outright to her. Well, and I think that this is why this episode in particular is important, especially how you ended it with what her mother said about what emotional abuse is. It's the bruises that you can't see and someone that you never, ever thought. And her mother continuously said that you never thought Sherry would put up with anything like this. But it's this systematic beating down that she doesn't think she's a either worth it to leave or what whatever you have in their specific scenario. But for some reason, Sherry did not believe that leaving was an option. No, she did not. And I think she thought, you know, she would not survive without without her husband. Uh, and that she thought that she and the kids would be at significant economic disadvantage. Look, these are all the same things that battered women actually mm-hmm. physically yes. go yeah. through too, which is like, I don't want this. I don't like getting beaten up, but the alternative is worse. And also, like, if I try and leave, then it's going to get all, this abuse is going to get a lot worse. Mm-hmm. And I think Sherry probably believed, probably because of something her husband said, that she had some kind of shot in writing the ship. You know, like, if you lose weight, you know, you clean up your act. If you make my favorite meatloaf every Thursday, right. you know, just maybe I'll stop seeing Diana Hawn and I'll be the husband that I used to be that made you so happy. And, you know, there are guys out there, lots of them, who are really, really, really good at that kind of manipulation. Mm-hmm. And, and Mike Daly was one of them. Can I ask you a couple questions from our audience really fast? Yes. Listeners, because we are just a representation of the listeners, basically. We're all just a representation of the listeners. <laughs> Tiffany Topper Yoga said, do you mean to make those faces slash eye rolls? Are they involuntary? And my follow-up question is, do you ever have to edit them out because there's too many of them? We've never, to my knowledge, we've never edited them out. Yes, they are involuntary. I do not believe in holding back. First of all, I don't know how to hold back. Like I can't sit there stone-faced and like show no emotion when people are saying things like, you know, she used to get up at three in the morning to warm up the shower for him. And she thought it was her fault that he was, you know, cheating and being mean to her. I, my face is always going to betray how I feel about that. But also, like, that's kind of dateline, you know. That's what we love about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 you could hire a robot for this job. In fact, they probably will. But uh, stop that. Stop May that. has an irrational fear of robots taking over. Yeah, well, they're all, they're going to kill us all. But uh, <laughs> I mean, that's well, there's that. We're going to coming. But but um, <laughs> uh, that's a topic for another broadcast. But uh, oh, you know, yeah, no. No, we've never. I don't believe we've ever um, edited them out. I think at different times, not in this story, in other stories, I think uh, I think we maybe edited my questions a little bit because I just sounded too contemptuous to whoever I was talking. You know, I, I think, it. but I can't remember what story that was where, where they had to like take the beginning of my question and the end because the middle was just like, <laughs> gay thing. and I think because it gave away that I knew what happened. I think that's what it was. Right. You know, oh, okay. that, I knew, that I knew that their behavior was actually much worse than at that point in the story we had let on. I think that's what it was, but yeah, no, they're involuntary and, and we, we leave them in. 
But Juana Sammy one said, if someone had a mink pillow on their bed, complete with a pocket square, would you think it was weird asking for a friend? Uh, let me put it this way. Um, yeah. <laughs> Katie's face. <laughs> yes. yes. Yes, that would be super weird. Too, um, too much. Uh, but you could have one of the ones that I have here. I have several, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Katharina Izell said, did you and Detective Havel? Harvel. 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 Have an onset bromance. She loved the banter that you guys had. Yes, yeah, he was great. He was a lot of fun. They were both really good, and they did a great job on this. You know, he knew Sherry Daly, you know, and, and uh, you know, he'd gone to high school with her, and he knew Mike, too. You know, I don't think he thought one day he would be charging Mike with Jerry's murder, but he'd known them. Not, you know, I mean, it's a small town. I think he'd seen the two of them over the years a bunch of times here and there. But uh, yeah, I got along great with your Harvard. I usually get along pretty well with all those guys. Yeah. Do we have time for just a couple rapid fire questions that aren't about this case? Katie, unless you have anything else about the case. I do. Have you ever, or do you currently own a jet ski? Great question. <laughs> I don't. I don't. This is a great story. My dad and my brother and I used to go to spring training in Florida every year. And they would go to the games and I would sit by the pool and read a mystery novel because I'm not a huge baseball fan like they are. But the place that we used to go, which was in St. Petersburg, Florida, they always had jet skis that you could rent. And every year, I would say, as we got to the hotel and saw the jet skis lined up on the on the on the sand, I'd be like, you know what? Let's let's rent one of those. That'll be fun. You know, we can rent a couple of those. We can you know go out in the water one day. And my dad would say, I don't know. I um, I saw a thing on sixty minutes. A guy about your age was killed on one of those things. They're really dangerous. And then I realized that my dad was saying that every year, and that the guy who was featured in that expose on sixty minutes was killed. Getting older and older. <laughs> getting, he was aging. He was getting older. He was dead. Um, he was still my age, no matter. Uh, so I concluded that my dad really did not want me to ever ride a jet ski. When I was a, when I was a young man, when I was a kid, my dad gave out a made, made a list of things that I was never allowed to do. One was ride a motorcycle. One was jump out of a plane with a parachute. One was go mountain climbing. One was going to a cave, you know, go go cave exploring. Spelunking. <laughs> and I'm figuring that, I mean, hang gliding and bungee jumping came along after that. But I threw those in because I knew yeah. I wasn't going to like that. But but I do now wish that I had actually gone on the jet ski. I guess I still have time. Yeah, every time I see the jet ski, I think about my dad uh, warning me off of them. Oh, it's never too late to jet ski. I know, I look like fun. Of all those things, it's the only one I would be likely to do. We couldn't figure out what the jet ski trip was. If it was a multi-day trip, a destination where you bring your own jet ski or you he had his own jet ski where we figured out. I think it's a day trip. A day trip. Okay. There we go. We talked it. We couldn't figure it out. That answers a huge question. I think it is. Because where they went is not that far away, I don't think. Okay. Okay. That answers it. We had far too long of a discussion about that. Jet skiing seems like an afternoon activity, but maybe not two days in a row. No, it could be. I think it's an all-day activity. I think you leave early, and then you get down there, and you ski all day long. And I think people, I think it wears people out. And, it's, and then, you know, some, you probably come back that night. I love it. Any more questions about the episode? I know. I think we have covered everything that I had. Oh, just off the off chance. Do you know what Mike's job was at Bonds? We know that Diana worked at the deli counter. Yeah, he was one of the managers. He um, was. Okay. okay. Yeah. There we go. Yes. That makes sense. Mm. 
Okay, so we have some just quick questions from our listeners. KM Thomas 77, where do you find your clever pocket squares? Well, all over the place. You know, uh, pocket squares and ties are the two items in menswear with the biggest profit margin because almost no construction is involved in them. Not like a, you know, a suit or an overcoat or a pair of shoes. Those take a long time to make. Tie is just a you know, piece of silk wrapped around some, some backing and sewed up. And a pocket square is even less than that. It's just a piece of silk just cut out in a square. So the idea that they cost like sometimes you know, 80, 90, more than $100 uh, in some places, uh, that is not acceptable to me. <laughs> I will not pay that kind of money for something. So you have budget pocket squares. I am on my budget. My pocket squares are all budget. There is a place. There's a place on the internet called a buyyourties.com. There's a place called pocket squares with a z.com. I go to outlet malls. Those are, those always have a lot of stuff. This is mind blowing. Yeah. But I don't believe in spending a lot of money on pocket squares. And obviously Obviously, it's possible to have a big collection without without doing that. How is it that you are not the spokesperson or perpetually sponsored by PocketSquaresWithAZ.com? First thing on, on their on their mm-hmm. website. It is conceivable that I might be PocketSquaresZ.com's only customer. That's conceivable. Um, <laughs> But they could get more and they could use the Z in your name. You know, they have the great thing about pocket squares with a Z dot com is they have all kinds of pocket squares, including the round kind. There you go. The ones with the cardboard back. No, they're just they're just they're just a round piece of silk. But then they have a little rim of a different color, usually. Oh. And those are very those fit the pocket very easily and then quickly, too. You know, but you don't get the jaunty point. At the, you know, the, point, the pointing, the, 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 the points, that does take a while to fold, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm, um, perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's a different look. It's switching it, it, it up. Different. It's different. Yeah. Okay. We will be looking for a circular pocket square for yes, in the future. Yeah. The real Gracie D, rumor has it you don't like emojis. Why? I don't know where she heard this. Is this true? I don't know where she heard that. Is this, uh, this is, I, I think I know, I think I know Gracie D. Uh, I, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily have any, uh, I don't have any emoji issues. I don't okay, think good. Because I, I use I them all the, the time. I use them on Twitter. I do. Okay, good. Where did she get that? I don't know. There's a rumor going around town, apparently. I mean, as far as rumors go, that's not that bad. You can always tell what they are, but you know. <laughs> Queen of Kirk Quirky, that should be my name. Who? What is the average working time from interest to air date? I know it varies. But like for this one, for example, three or four months. Okay. You know, I mean, a lot of times, you know, we start making calls on a story right after the crime happens. Then the actual, you know, even if somebody's arrested, and the, the, frequently when we start when we start pursuing something, they don't even have a suspect yet. So then, you know, an investigation takes time, and then maybe somebody's arrested, then maybe they're put on trial. And then there's a verdict. Usually then that's when we sort of start going back and interviewing people because police and prosecutors won't talk until there's after been a, those after a verdict. So, I mean, that can be a really long time. Like the time difference between when a crime happens and when the verdict comes in, that could be a couple of years. But in this case, in a case that we started after it was already all fully adjudicated, mm-hmm. the reason was we were looking after the pandemic, we'd shut down for, for a few months. And then when we came back, we were looking for stuff that was like 
ready to go. Like we didn't have to wait for the trial to end or we didn't have to wait for people to be ready. Like they were ready. It had already happened. So that's why we ended up doing this story because it was just like sitting there. Okay. In, in TV news parlance, it was frozen food. That's a little piece of trivia, which means it's ready. It's there. I love that. So, frozen food. Frozen yeah. food. So that's why. And that took it. This took about three or four months. Again, it took a little longer because of COVID. I mean, you know, we, uh, we had to interview everybody outside. The light changes. You know, oh. airplanes come by, helicopters come by, mm-hmm. people are cutting the grass. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's the outdoor interviews. You know, the mom was outside, the two cops were outside. You know, it it, it takes a really long time. Some other people we did by Zoom interview, but you know, the, the the COVID definitely slowed everything down. And of course, keep this in mind. You know, if you have this image of Dateline producers and editors jammed into an, into an edit room you know, putting the piece together and me writing. Well, that's how it used to be. But since we shut down, there's nobody in 30 Rock in New York and there's nobody in our office in Los Angeles. Everybody's working from home. So we're not with any of those people. Mm-hmm. So they're communicating, you know, electronically or or, or by phone. Mm-hmm. That definitely slows everything down. Oh, yeah. S4 Russ123 wants to know, Thoughts on the Mank movie? Do you want to pitch it? Explain it to people here who haven't seen it yet on Netflix. The Mank movie is the story of my grandfather Herman Mankiewicz, who was a uh, who was a Hollywood screenwriter back in the uh, 30s and 40s and uh, and 50s, who uh, uh, wrote the screenplay that eventually became Citizen Kane, for which he shared an Academy Award. And it's the story of how he wrote that screenplay, and in the process, sort of you know, alienated a big chunk of Hollywood because he wrote it, it was a, the screenplay is a thinly veiled story of William Randolph Hearst, who at the time was sort of a combination of, you know, Rupert Murdoch and Mark Zuckerberg, mm. you know, you know, and the Koch brothers, you know? Oh. And I mean, he was an incredibly powerful guy, the kind of which there isn't anymore because that much media power is concentrated in one person anymore. And, you know, it's, it was an interesting, it's an interesting movie. Gary Oldman does a great job of playing him. Amanda Seyfried does an incredible job of playing Marion Davies, Hearst's mistress. All the roles in the film are great. Now, for me, I didn't know my grandfather. And so seeing him brought to life was kind of surreal. But I liked the movie a lot. And it was the, you know, it's been nominated for what? 10 Academy Awards, something like that. So I'll definitely be watching. That's great. I'm sorry that my uh, my dad's not around for this. He would have gotten a giant kick out of this. My grandfather, I suspect, uh, would have been flabbergasted because the movie portrays him, I think, kind of how he really was, which was he was a great guy. He was a smart guy, really funny guy, really talented guy. And the only person who kind of didn't believe that was him. He kind of hated himself and he was a drunk and he drank himself into an early grave. He died at like 55 or 56, almost entirely because of alcohol and his own sort of desire to, to, you know, leave the earth. I mean, he kind of felt like a failure, despite the fact that, like, you know, he was this successful screenwriter and had written a couple of great movies. But he he hated himself. And you can see that in the in the movie. I mean, he has contempt for a lot of people, but he's definitely on that list. So there were times I wanted to reach through the screen and kind of slap him. But it was weird seeing him brought to life. Well, also weird seeing him brought, seeing brought to life was a bunch of people I did know, like my grandmother and and their daughter and my grandfather's brother, Joe Mankowitz, who was also a, a producer, writer, director. So, yeah, it was kind of a weird sort of semi-home movie for us. 
but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I liked it and I hope everybody sees it and hope it does well. Awesome. That's great. Stamp of approval. Nothing at all to do with it. I need to say that. Where this, this has nothing to do with my family, except it's about my grandfather. Last question from a listener, maybe the most important one. From our friend Steffi on Twitter, are you going to join Cameo? Do you know what Cameo is? Yeah, that's the thing where you, like, take money to wish people happy birthday. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. Uh, she wants a cameo from the greatest Dateline host ever in all caps. I didn't do that for her. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I'm not on cameo. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I see that happening, but uh, it could be birthday wishes. It can be anything. Like we got my dad, a happy Hanukkah one. I do that stuff on Twitter. I'm always like, I'm always like, I'm always like wishing everybody happy birthday on Twitter. That's free. You know, That's true. Uh, you know, so uh, Steffi, what's her, what's her what's her name online? Um, F T S F H forever, but it's also Shady Pines Ma, like from Golden Girls. Oh yeah, all right, I'll have to look her up. Yeah, you maybe she'll get a special shout out. No, okay. Um, uh, is it her birthday today or something? Or? No, I don't think so. She just really wants you to be on Cameo. I think. I think a lot of people would love that. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I, I'm fairly certain that NBC has a has a policy on that. That makes okay. sense. Also, I don't have a lot of time. I mean, and when I do have time, I do have time. you are a busy yes. man. Yeah. But what what's next for you? Any good stories that you want to pitch? Any podcasts coming up? I'm supposed to do a podcast. I know the podcast stuff has gotten a little out of hand because, or just not out of hand, but I mean, it's gotten off schedule because Keith did a couple about the the Iowa kids. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, so I'm supposed to do one, which was supposed to, I think, be happening now, but obviously it's not. We're, you know, I did one last year and we made a mistake with that one, which was we did a story, we did a podcast about something that you'd already seen. And uh, that's not, you, you want to do it the other way around. You want to do the mm-hmm. podcast first and then, uh, you know, have like the last episode of the podcast drop on Saturday and the last and the episode on, of Dateline air Friday night. Oh, oh yeah. You know, so you can learn something, you know, after it's over. Because I think people knew how it was going to come out. It still did really well. And I had yeah, a lot of fun. It was great. It. Motive for Murder. Yeah, yeah. But, but, really but Motive for Murder 2, I think, is going gonna, is gonna to be a case that you have not seen. I just don't know which case is going to be yet. Exciting. And any exciting datelines that when are we going to see you next? It seems like we get a bunch in a row and then a long break. So I'm working on one right now that is sort of dependent on law enforcement arresting someone. And I don't know when that's going to happen. And then I'm working on another one that is going to air at some point over the summer. But I don't know what I'm going to be on next. Okay. Well, we will maybe have you back when you... Cliffhanger. Yep. Okay. Yep. Love to. Can I last thing read you the text message from my mom when I asked her, do you have anything to say to Josh Mankiewicz? Oh, thank you so much for asking, honey. Please tell him that your dad and I adore listening to him. I think she meant watching. First of all, will he consider doing another podcast on any crime except perhaps Lori Vallow? Secondly, I mentioned this to you, but I never saw his signature hanky a few episodes back. Perhaps the camera didn't focus on that area, but it looked like his Navy jacket was missing a hanky, and I was disappointed. In buying a new hanky for dad a year ago for a wedding, I even said to the salesman at Nordy's that I needed something unique and fun, like Josh Mankiewicz's hankies. 
Please tell him too to keep up the wonderful job he does. Love that man! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! Well, first of all, thank your mother for raising such a wonderful daughter. <laughs> and uh, I'll make sure that my pocket scores are showing in future episodes of Dateline. Sometimes, you know, the interview is really long. It kind of slides down. Yeah, it slides. Um, but um, uh, that's happened once or twice. But uh, yeah, I do try and always wear one. Is So there's a net, we have on our extreme bingo cards, which are the Dateline bingo cards that are the really hard ones. Manky, no hanky. Because occasionally. But that's usually a polo shirt. Wow. Oh, a, like on a beach or something. Right. That's, that's, a, that's, that's okay. rare. That's yeah. soup. That's why it's extreme. Yeah. I just have a quick question. So have you never used the, the hanky that's just the top with the cardboard back? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like yes. a note card and it I've slides in. Used, I've never used, I've never put cardboard in my pocket, but I have done that fold, that squared off fold. Okay. That was popularized by uh, John Kennedy. And for some reason that's called, oh. the, in, in, in the land of pocket squares, that's called the TV fold because I think it popularized by newscasters, but, but that's the huh. one I associate with John Kennedy is just like a little, that little bit of white showing. That little I was, tiny. I was interviewing, this is a good story. It's a good pocket square story. I, in the late nineties, I was interviewing for Dateline, John Kennedy Jr. About a story that uh, his magazine, George magazine mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. doing with Dateline in which we were, it was in 90, 1996. That's when it was. Same year that uh, the, the Sherry Daly was killed. And um, we had commissioned together with, with, with George Magnuson, we commissioned a poll asking American voters what they wanted in a president, what, what, what resume thing, you know, served in government, never been in government, you know, success in private industry or came from academia. Do you want somebody tall? Do you want somebody blonde? Do you want somebody with dark hair? Do you want somebody with balding? You know, white, black, other, you know, like we asked a bunch of different questions about what the person looked like and, and man or woman and w- what their resume was like. And so once they found this person, uh, at least, you know, in terms of the qualities and characteristics of them, then we hired an executive search firm to find somebody who sort of fit all those characteristics. And, and we found a guy who, who matched up with all the things that, that that and this was somebody who never thought about running for president. This was a guy who had served briefly in, I think, Gerald Ford's administration as an agency official. And now he was, I think, in private business or academia. But at least on paper, he's what America wanted and mm-hmm. uh, based on this poll. So we interviewed John Kennedy about, uh, about the poll. And he was very nice. And he sat down to do the interview. And he had run over from his office. And he didn't have his jacket with him. His suit jacket. He's wearing just a, a shirt and a tie and suit pants, but he didn't have his jacket. So a friend of his had come with him, a guy I think he worked with. And that guy, they were fortunately the same size. That guy lent him his suit jacket, which was also just dark charcoal or, or gray or uh, blue. And so Kennedy put on his friend's suit jacket, which at least for the interview fit perfectly well. And we're about to start. And Kennedy looks down at his pocket. He's like, oh, wait just a second. And, uh, there was no handkerchief in the pocket. So he said, does anybody have a Kleenex? Kleenex. So we get a box of Kleenexes, and he takes a Kleenex out of the box. You know, Kleenexes are square. And he folds it up so it makes points, like a pocket square. 
and he mm-hmm. kept that into his pocket. And on TV back then, this was standard definition, not high definition. You could not tell that that was not a white cotton pocket square, at least for that interview. Now, I will say this. When he's folding up that pocket square, he's folding up that piece of Kleenex into a pocket square. There wasn't an eye in that room that was not on him including both of mine, but like, I'm talking about the crew, the hair and makeup people, you know, his friend, everyone thinking like, I know where you learned that, you know, and wow. he it up just like his dad would have and put it in his pocket. And then he did the interview. He didn't feel like he was, he was fully dressed unless he had a pocket square. So good for him. I mean, talk about magnetism and the opposite of Hawaiian Mike and Tom Randolph is right. JFK yes. Jr. By the way, and, and in person, in person, he was just as you'd expect. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yep. yep. Amazing. Amazing. Yep. Really good looking, very tall, very nice guy. God. That's great. What a great story. That's amazing. Any final thoughts? I love being on Date Dateline. What can I tell you? Yay. We love Thank having you. Thank you so much. Any, any time. Absolutely. Fantastic. And if you're not following Josh Mankiewicz on Twitter, what are you even doing with your life? What is the point, right? Then why are you on Twitter? Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us. We so appreciate it. We just adore you. You know, we do. As much as my mother adores you, we adore you. Really, even more. It's hard to believe. Tell your mom thank you. (laughs) uh, A million exclamation points. uh, Both of you uh, be careful out there, okay? Yes. Wear a mask, everybody. Thank you. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Stay safe. Be careful. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.